I invite you to join me in a word of prayer. Well, Lord Jesus, you are the bread of life, and I pray that you would increase in each one of us a desire for you, not just for our temporal needs, but for you spiritually to give us the life that we need. And Lord, I ask that you would help me as I preach now to be clear and true to your word. I ask this in your holy name. Amen. Please be seated. It was quite a few years ago now, over 20, when I can remember the first time the Lord taught me kind of a new thing about being aware of how intimately connected he is to my needs and the details of my life. And what was going on is I was living in Chicago. Heather and I were married, newly married. She was in grad school. I had just started a new job as an engineer. And a friend of mine from Charleston, South Carolina called and said, hey, I need two more adults to lead a student mission trip out of the country. If you can get yourself here to Charleston, the rest of the trip is paid for. But we were, you know, Heather had, we had school loans and Heather was in grad school and we just didn't have a lot of money yet. And um, to come up with 800 bucks or whatever it was for both of us to fly from Chicago to, to Charleston was a lot. And so we committed it to prayer for two purposes. One was asking the Lord to provide the airfare we needed, but also asking him to clarify whether or not we were supposed to go and be part of this mission trip uh, for a church that we didn't know and the students we didn't know. And um, in my company that I was working for, they had a deal that if you gave automatically out of your paycheck $16 a month to the United Way, they gave you one more vacation day. And they were very stingy for new engineers. You got 10 vacation days a year. So to give 16 bucks a month to buy one more vacation day looked good, so I did it. But what I didn't know is for everyone that, that gave through that program, you were entered into an annual drawing of some sort for prizes. And so I get a call at my job site from another engineer who says, hey, congrats, you won the top prize. And I was like, in what? And he told me about this raffle and he said, you won the top prize. I said, what's that? And he said, it's two round-trip airfares anywhere in the Continental 48. And of course, my faith just like went, like, whoa, I'm supposed to go on this mission trip. And the Lord does provide. And he listened to my prayer. And he's that connected to the details of my life. Now, there's a danger in your faith always being connected to something God did 20 years ago. But one one of the things I learned is to start writing my prayers down in a journal, asking God for very specific things, and I will often draw a checkbox in the margin so that I'll keep asking for that until the Lord either says, stop asking for that, or no, or yes, or something else. And and then I can check it off, and I'll write down what happened. So I've got years now of journals of God doing all sorts of stuff. 20 years ago in the airfare was just for me the start of a lifetime of walking with a God who provides for his people, personally, intimately. And it's not just about the provision, it's about the faith. And this morning, I want to point out to you that God desires his followers to depend on him daily. That's why when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he said, pray, give us this day our daily bread. This day, not a storehouse of stuff that we can live on for a year and then come back to you for more. Daily, he wants to feed us out of his hand rather than out of his storehouse. And today we're going to consider bread and how bread relates to belief. 
It's kind of an important topic in the Bible. I looked it up. 331 times the word bread occurs in the English Standard Version. Some of the early church leaders, the fathers as they're called, church fathers, guys like um, Tertullian, Cyprian, St. Augustine, they took that, that phrase in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, and they hyper-spiritualized it. And they taught that what Jesus meant was, teach us from your word. And that's, you know, the, the word of God is, in a sense, his bread to us. And um, they also said it's referring to the sacrament of Holy Communion. And again, that's fair. You, you can make that jump. But I think what the Lord is actually telling us to pray for is far more pragmatic. And Martin Luther, the reformer, picked it up well. He said in the Lord's Prayer, the word bread, praying for daily bread, was a prayer. The bread was a symbol for this. Quote, everything necessary for the preservation of this life, like food, a healthy body, good weather, house, home, wife, children, good, uh, good government, and peace. The things we need just to sustain this life. That's what we're actually praying for. And our text today is the feeding of the 5,000, as Lenny mentioned. It's in John chapter 6. We're going to be there today. And it's about how bread is connected to belief. John tells us this story of Jesus feeding 5,000. And all four of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as well as John, also have an account of it in there. It's actually kind of rare that all four of the gospelers pick up a certain event. So this is pretty important to all of them. And what I'd like to do as we look at this story is consider what it was like to follow Jesus when he had his earthly ministry. What, what was it actually like to be there with him? And then who is it that they were following? Because they were coming slowly to the conclusion that this isn't just a normal teacher. He's something so much more majestic. And who is this? And I think John chapter 6 points us to that. Um, so let's, let's dig in. So what was it like to follow Jesus? Two weeks ago, I told you about the account where Jesus rebuked Peter. When Jesus said he was going to die on a cross, Jesus took him aside and tried to rebuke Jesus. And then Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Right? He, he was not thinking right. And he got rebuked by the Lord. And today, Philip, the disciple, is getting tested. And so he's going to fail the test pretty miserably, actually. And as I was thinking about that, I was brought to mind of the Chronicles of Narnia and the whole comment that Lucy the girl makes when she hears that the Christ figure is a lion in, in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And, and her comment is, a lion, is he safe? And the reply comes back, of course he's not safe. I mean, after all, he's a lion. He's not safe, but he's good. And what we see here in, in this encounter is Jesus challenging Philip to exercise faith and everyone that he feeds. You had to be on your toes then, and I say now, the Lord cares a whole lot more about you than just giving you bread for the day. He wants to develop his relationship with you. He wants to help you have a right understanding of himself and how the kingdom of God works. And so verse five in here starts with, it says this, Jesus lifts up his eyes and he sees that a large crowd was coming toward him. And Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now, when you go over to Matthew's account of this, Matthew tells us in the context that Jesus and his disciples were trying to pull away from the crowds to go and get a time of retreat while they were grieving. 
John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, had just been brutally beheaded by King Herod. And it says, when Jesus learned of this, he withdrew with his disciples to be by themselves in this remote place. But he had done so many signs and wonders, the crowds were just flocking to him constantly. And they, you know, they figured out where he was. And he, instead of being frustrated, these people, can't they just give me a minute to grieve? My cousin just was killed. None of that. He looked up and he, and he wanted to provide for them. The Lord was going to meet their need in, in a time of his own need. He's going to provide for him. And he teaches them out there in this grassy area. It's way up to the north um, by Bethsaida. It's like north of the Sea of Galilee. There's a lot of grass there, apparently. A big area. They're spread out. 5,000 people. That's 5,000 men plus women and children. The way they counted it, it might have been double that. It's a lot of people. And he fully intends to do a great sign here to teach the crowd something about his identity and to teach his disciples this as well. Now, John tells us, in, in, in John's gospel, he's got seven signs. He starts counting them, actually, and then, he, and then he stops counting them, but there are seven. The first one is turning water into wine. I'll tell you what the others are. I wrote them in, in my Bible. What, turning water into wine is the first of seven signs, and then he heals a person with a fever, and then he heals an invalid who's lying on a mat, and then he feeds the 5,000, and then he walks on water, and then he heals a man born blind, and then the seventh sign is he raises his friend Lazarus from the dead. John takes seven signs... He did lots more than that, by the way, which John acknowledges, but he picks seven, a a number of completeness, and shows seven complete signs, sort of in increasing intensity, um, of of what what Jesus was able to do. And he tells us at the end, in, in the end of John's gospel, these signs are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and by believing, have life in his name. So the purpose is not, you're hungry today and you need some bread. It's actually so that you will have the kind of bread that you never get hungry from again, a relationship with Jesus that is eternal. It's life-giving. So the first sign was turning water into wine in chapter 2, and and Philip was there. Philip, where are we going to buy bread for all these people that are hungry? And then it says in verse 6, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was about to do. Jesus knew what he was going to do. And he says to Philip, where are we going to buy bread? And I I have to emphasize uh, with Philip because I I would probably do the same thing. Uh, You know, I'd start, okay, about how many people? And I'd start estimating and I'd I'd start engineering the thing. Well, Lord, it looks like if we had 200 denarii, that's probably just shy of enough. Everybody can get a little bit. Wrong. Here's the answer. Where, Philip, are we going to buy food for all these people? Here's the answer. You, Lord, know. If if the Lord ever asked you a trick question, like just say, Lord, you know. That's a great answer. Lord, you know. But that's not how he answered, and that's how I wouldn't have either. I would start solving a a spiritual problem with a physical solution. And so he got it wrong, right? He's good, but he's not safe. You got to be on your toes because Jesus is calling his followers up. He's calling us up to more, and, and he wants us to exercise faith. So what was it like following him? Well, we had a a Lord who was attentive to the needs of those around him. You'll note in the story that they didn't have any bread either. The disciples had to go get some boy's lunch and bring it to Jesus. They didn't have pockets full of stuff. So part of following Jesus was, okay, Lord, you've taken us out into this grassy field. Uh, We don't have any food. How's this going to go? 
But we have a Lord here who's attentive to the needs of his followers and can provide. But we also have a Lord who challenges our faith to grow. So Jesus feeds his followers with bread and with belief. The two things, bread and belief. Now, who is it that they're following? Um, When Bishop N.T. Wright wrote a commentary on chapter 6 here, he said, you have to pay attention to the specific words, all of them. There are no, quote, throwaway lines in the Bible. There's no wasted sentences. And John was crafting, as a great artist, he was crafting a narrative to teach something. And so you've got to kind of look through and see what are the things that maybe stand out that seem odd in just telling a story or that are indicators of something. I'll tell you three of them. One is the very first two words, after this. When you're reading your Bible and it says, after this, you have to flip back and see what came before. After this, well, if you back up two verses, it says there's a whole dialogue between Jesus and the religious leaders over Moses. And he says to them, don't think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe Moses' writings, how will you believe my words? After this, see, it's connected to Moses. So right away, the people are, John wants us to see, the people were thinking, okay, well, Moses did all these great signs. You know, what are you going to do, Lord? Or how do you compare to Moses? So that's, that's the context there. And then it says, he went up, in verse 3, Jesus went up on the mountain. For a good Jewish Sabbath kind of Sunday school person on the mountain would make you immediately think of Moses going up on Mount Sinai, getting the law, and bringing it down to the people. Jesus went up on the mountain. He's kind of sitting in the seat of Moses, so to speak, as the teacher and provider, the one through whom God's going to provide. And then it says in verse 4, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. Why would John want us to know that? Well, the Passover was all about commemorating when God led the Israelites out of Egypt through the Red Sea and then under Moses' leadership into the desert. And they were in the desert and they were hungry and they were grumbling. And lest the people in here, or lest lest you think I'm making this up about the connection to Moses, the people understood and the next day said to Jesus, Uh, I'm jumping down to John 6, verse 31. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they made the connection from the feeding of the 5,000 the day before to manna in in the Exodus. But let me go back to show you what actually happened there because there's a test from God to the Israelites too. I'm jumping back to Exodus 16. And this is one of the coolest things ever. What does manna look like? I mean, what is it? The Israelites named it manna, but what was it? Like, what would it actually have been like to collect it? I'll tell you. Um, Exodus 16 says, The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people should go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them. Notice that, that I may test them. They're not supposed to gather enough for a month. Every day they're going to go out, and gather the day's need that I might test them on whether or not they will walk in my law. That's the test. I'm going to give you the word. Go out every day. Collect this up. I'm going to feed you with this manna. And that's going to be your test. They grumbled. The reason 
um, the Lord said this is because they went out into the desert and there's no food or water and they started grumbling. We should have stayed back in Egypt. We had meat, we had bread. Here we are in the desert. We're gonna die out here. And they grumbled against God rather than express trust in the one who just did how many signs for Pharaoh and parted the Red Sea. They walked through that and now they're like, oh my goodness, we're gonna die in the desert. And God's like, no, I can provide for you. I'm gonna test you. Every morning I'm gonna give you food. And he says to Moses, this is Exodus 16, 11, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. You've gotta picture the desert, like desert that doesn't end, where you look around 360 degrees and all you see is desert, sand. And God's saying, I'm gonna feed you meat at twilight and in the morning fill your bellies with bread. Really? Okay, I'm interested. How's this going to work? And then he says, in the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. Just birds just flew in and covered the camp. Oh, there's the meat. And then in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? I mean, I, I'm guessing they were like, what is that? But there's this stuff. And, and they, they gathered it up and ate it. And, it. and it describes it a little further as, as being like this. Um, it says, now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. It's like graham crackers. But it was white like coriander seed. And they, they scooped it up and they baked it and they boiled it and they did all kinds of stuff with it. But... And then it says they ate it for 40 years because they still didn't trust God. He was like, you're going to stay in this desert until this generation passes away, and then you go into the land of promise. 40 years they ate that stuff. But every morning it appeared, they scooped it up, and then the next day, new manna appeared. It was incredible how God was doing this. So here we are in John chapter 6, and they're saying, well, our fathers were fed with manna that God provided, you know, what sign are you going to do for us? And he's like, I just did a sign for you, and you didn't make the connection. See, some people have wrote, written commentaries on John 6 saying, it was spontaneous generosity that, that the Lord brought out in all the people, and they all had food, and they started sharing it, and that's how he fed. But that's not at all what happened here. This was a miraculous provision, just like the manna from the Old Testament, and the people understood it. It calls it a sign in verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet that Moses spoke about. And then they were going to make him king by force. And so when Jesus realized that, he snuck off into the wilderness further. Went, I don't know where he went up. Maybe there were some trees or a hill somewhere. I don't know. He, went, he just went away. And then the other ones went down to, to go on the boats and go back in somewhere else. And he, but they all knew that he had done a miraculous sign here. And he says, gather up the leftover pieces so that nothing may be lost. They gathered 12 baskets full of bread. The Lord provided bread, but he wanted them to understand that this is about belief. And so the next day they find him, the crowds find him, and this is the dialogue that happens. I'm in John 6 still. It says, Rabbi, when did you come here? And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. 
For on him, God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, this is a great question. What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in whom he sent. That's the work. Believe in whom he sent. So you guys, you're happy because you got food. You're missing the fact that this is a sign showing that I'm actually the one fulfilling what Moses talked about. You have God in your presence here, and you're just coming because you got a free meal. Recognize the significance of this. This is so much bigger than that. And then he goes on and he gives one of the I am statements where he claims divinity. He says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Don't be working for things that are going to perish. Back to Martin Luther's list, you know, uh, food, healthy body, good weather, home, house, wife, children, good government, peace. Those are important things, and God knows that you need them, but that's not where your emphasis is supposed to be. He says, seek first the kingdom, and all this other stuff will be added to you. And my hope for us, us this morning, as we consider the invitation to follow Jesus as his followers, what can we expect him to be like? Well, he's a God who feeds his people both with bread and with belief. He wants the fellowship of having bread with him and having him provide us daily to lead us into a trusting relationship with him, where we start to say, okay, God, let's do this life together. And it gets down to the actual specific things of airline tickets and whatever else. He will provide what what he knows you need, sometimes not what you want. I mean, they were out there for a while with no food in that remote place, and they're they're probably wondering, are we going to have dinner tonight, or is this another one of those Jesus going to make us fast for 24-hour situations? And he did provide those because, again, he's not safe, but he's good. He knows what they need. And he doesn't want them to just get hung up on the basics. That's what everybody else goes after. He's saying, I'm, I'm going to provide for you, but I want it to lead to trust in me. The Lord feeds his followers with bread and belief because he doesn't want us to be hungry. And I'm talking spiritually hungry. He's saying, I am the bread of life. and If you believe in me, you will never hunger. Not for physical food. You will never hunger because you will be with him forever. He will nourish that. And so I want to encourage you to maybe even do the little journal thing I did. Take your needs before the Lord. Ask for, you know, his kingdom in that situation. And if you ask for something specifically, make a little square box on the margin of your prayer journal and go, okay, Lord, I'm going to keep asking for this until you tell me to stop or you provide it or you correct my prayer. And then all of a sudden, it's about belief and not the thing you're getting, because now it's the conversation with him, right? That's how it's supposed to be as we follow Jesus. That's what was supposed to happen here, and that's why this sign is included in the gospel, that you might see these signs and not chase after bread, but that you might see these signs and believe that Jesus is the one who can provide, and by believing, have life in his name. He's the bread of life. He'll provide for you, and he'll provide more for you than you even realize you need. Now, in a minute, we're going to sing a a song as a sermon response song called Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery, and it talks about who this God is that we follow and what an incredible God he is. So I'm going to say a prayer and then invite you to make the song your prayer as well. But let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, you are so good to us, and we often thank you at mealtime for the food that we have, and we occasionally thank you for other things. But Lord, I pray that everything that we have, which ultimately comes from you, 
would lead us to an even deeper relationship with you, that we would trust you. Lord, help our unbelief, please. I ask this in your holy name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand.